Mana 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 this is social discasting welcome to social discasting a podcast where my guests and i discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves i am brandon aka brandon hope you're well my guest has worked on the sets of such projects as richard jewel red notice and the disney plus television show loki and is also the host of the truly excellent and interesting podcast high strangeness please welcome al mirabella welcome howdy thank you for being on i really appreciate it hey thank you for having me on brandon yeah of course. I appreciate it. Big, big fan of the show. Big oh, fan. thank you very much. Yeah, your show's great. That sounded great. fake, but I am. I do like your show. <laughs> I genuinely like your show, too. It's great. It's really, really thank interesting. You. And it's, yeah, first question, the fun one. How are you? I'm killing it. I'm doing all right. You know, I thought about this question, not because I was like, oh, Brandon's going to ask me, how are you? But yeah. because I, you know, you get asked, how are you regularly? That's like a very normal question to ask people. And every time I say I'm good, because that's the normal response. It's yeah. like, oh, that's a lie. I'm not. I'm not good. I'm fine. But fine doesn't sound quite as good as good. It's the weighted, most weighted that question has been probably ever for me. If somebody were to ask me, like, how am I? I do want to default to, yeah, I'm fine. But then I'm, I'm also like, well, that just doesn't sound realistic and with everything happening. You know, I, I'm surviving, I guess. What else can you do? I don't know. You know, I was thinking because like for a while I had this thought that it's it felt like it was not OK to be OK. Like, yeah. I was like because there have been good days. I'm like, oh, things things are fine. Actually, things actually had like a good day or whatever. And then you just like turn on the news or you just like look at the Internet for three seconds. and You're like, oh, I feel bad that I even had a good day today. So it kind of kind of colors it. But I also was thinking recently, like, because early on, I had to like, because I'm an, I'm an optimist, I had to like come to terms with like, hey, it's okay to not be okay right now. And then I had to, I kind of lived in that moment for a while. And I just sad sacked around and kind of uh, maybe took advantage of what I was telling myself and then kind of had to turn to like, oh, it's also it's okay to be okay. It's like, you know, I've relatively adjusted. For the most part, I don't think about anymore that we're that shit's fucked up. But when and when it is when I notice it, it's it doesn't sting as much as it used to. It's kind of like when I was a kid, I used to think like, oh, when you go to hell and like punish you forever, don't you think you'd just like eventually get used to it? If it's forever, it might take a long time. Yeah. Like it feels like you would just get like, you know, like, hey, Bill, what's up? Getting my ass ripped apart by bees today again. Yeah, I know. Same thing, man. Well, that's where like being like the malleability of humans, it goes both ways. You know, you can get really adjusted to great things, but you can also adjust to some really heinous shit. There's value in that, depending on, I suppose, what it is and just how the, the frequency, I suppose, of it. I feel like the um, when we started off with this, like my own mortality was really at the forefront constantly. And it's not exactly in the background now, but it definitely is a little, I guess maybe it's just white noise and I'm just functioning despite it just always being there, but not being as visible to me as it, as it has been. It feels like there's a ceiling right now. Like there's a, only so high that you can get, but it also kind of to me feels like there's only so low that you can get. Mm-hmm. Like on my best day, when I do something like really great and rewarding, it just doesn't feel like it's hitting the same way that it used to. Kind of like I used to be on SSRIs, and I don't take SSRIs anymore. It's not there's I don't have any problem with people taking SSRIs, but like kind of leveled me out. I was like, okay, great. Well, I don't I don't feel great, but I don't feel that bad, and I kind of feel that same sort of numbness to that. And I don't even mean that in a negative way. I think that your brain was like, hey, uh, you can't handle that stress level. We gotta kind of we gotta yeah. do a little something here. Gotta yeah. kind of shift some gears around. But I like I went I did my first out of town trip yesterday. It was just a day trip. I wanted to go to a restaurant that I had not been to in a really long time. It's 110 miles north of me. And I just I drove to the restaurant and I sat on their patio and I ate 
And I was like, oh, this is great. And I was like, oh, but also like I can't go inside this restaurant that I like, which is appropriate, mm-hmm. but it does detract from the experience. And then like I was in Chattanooga, but I was like, I couldn't go do anything in Chattanooga. I walked around Chattanooga for a little bit, but I didn't want to go inside anywhere because I can't even have a good time going into like a, a museum if there's five people in it now. Like it just stresses me out too much. I'm like, I would just rather not spend my $12 and have a $9 experience right now. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. What sort of restaurant was it? So when I was a kid, that's not where you thought that question was going to go, huh? When I was a kid, I used to hang out at this restaurant called Sluggo's in Pensacola, Florida. And it was more than a restaurant. It was kind of a bar, but it was also like a a punk venue that I kind of like played my first shows and I like got my first like crowd exposure there. And I like made all my friends and it informed the politics that I that I carry with me now. And the people who lived in my hometown who were alt or just weird. It was like the like safe place to hang out. I was like, oh, cool. Like, it's a bunch of weirdos like me. Um, and then in the capitalist hellscape of America, it shut down a couple of years ago. But the owner of the restaurant, before it had shut down, she had moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee to open up another branch of it. And that oh. branch has stayed open. And I had never been there because I've never been through Chattanooga. I always said like, you know, I'm going to go to Sluggo's in Chattanooga one day, and I'm going to eat that food again. And then I had this thought a couple of weeks ago. I was like, all sorts of places, like small independent businesses are closing down permanently. Yeah. And if that place closes down, and I don't get those spinach, sweet potato enchiladas again, I am going to have a fucking meltdown. <laughs> so that's what I decided to do yesterday. It was actually really, really nice. You know, you also can't underestimate what it feels like to to actually like go far and a far enough distance to where you feel like you've gone on a trip, you know, as opposed to like going to the store and everything like that. But like going long enough to feel like you went somewhere and got away. That goes such a long way mentally, at least for me. Yeah. And, and I, you know, you're, I'm super cooped up here and, and there's so much amazing stuff to do in Atlanta. And a lot of that stuff you can still do, but like, you know, it is colored with a sort of weird lens right now. So the kind of the couple of things that I'm comfortable doing are luckily some of my favorite things. There's a there's a Kroger that I like to sit out on the patio and drink wine and it's never super crowded. And there's a little like nice walking path that I like to go on. But uh, my weekend for the last, I would say, two months, I have done literally the exact same thing every single weekend. And I've been having some like weird stuff with my roommate and so I don't even like want to be home. Like I don't mm-hmm. feel comfortable in my house right now in a weird way, which kind of sucks. Um, and I, cause I also don't really feel comfortable outside and I just had this like weird claustrophobia this week. I was like, I just, I gotta go do something. I got, I have got to get out. And I'm the kind of person that whenever I see a bunch of people out at a place, I'm like giving them a side eye. I'm like, oh, so that's what we're doing now, huh? So there's, <laughs> so there's 18 people on that patio at that bar, huh? That yeah. doesn't, doesn't seem safe, but also I had to go sit on a patio and I was like, well, I'm that guy right now, but. You know, I figure it's it's different to do it once every two months than some of the people I know who are doing it like two or three days a week. Yeah, I can't imagine that. I, uh, mm. you know, and I, and I understand like wanting to get out and doing that, but there's a vast difference between getting out and doing it for the sake of like not being cooped up or not feeling like you're losing your mind and things like that, as opposed to just doing everything you did before a fucking pandemic was happening. There's a vast difference between those two polarities. I see people, you know, without masks and everything, and it confuses my brain because I just don't, I don't understand how you can get to that place right now. It feels like a a contemporary problem, like a, 
symptom of the like I want it I can have it right now kind of society that I feel Mm -hmm. like we live in and I was thinking there had to have been people in like World War II in Europe during the air raids that were like I'm still going to a park I'm not not going to the park even if I get a bomb dropped on me it's fine can't just stay in forever yeah as wild as that thought is like there's no doubt in my mind there were absolutely people like that I think also like part of the processing of this stuff is like it's so unfathomable that some people are just their empathy if it ever does doesn't kick in until they're directly affected by it and whether that's via a loved one getting it or they themselves getting it and even then there are just some people that are just devoid of that and I you know it fucking it is what it is I guess all I know is stay away from me and we'll be good you spoke to like the initial fear was your own mortality it just throws in your face you're like oh i could die like that's a thing and it's weird because like you could die from a ton of stuff all the time and statistically there's like way more things that you probably are gonna die from um if you add them all together you know like kawoo is just like a one one percentage piece of that puzzle (laughs) and you can't kind of like live under that but i very quickly was like i'm not really scared to die like I, i feel like honestly i've done most of the things that i've ever wanted to do and now there's more stuff that i want to do but like i'm pretty contented i just feel like i'm i'm living on borrowed time like i feel like anything that i get to do now is just kind of a privilege and that's yeah. something that i've i've felt for a little while now so just trying to in the practice of like trying to practice just thankfulness and mindfulness and stuff like that but the thing to me is like it's my family you know like that's the kind of stuff that bothers me like if my dad gets sick that's gonna suck my, my parents are older like yeah. i have family members that have like really serious you know like immunocompromised people my best friend david his grandpa died right at the start in new york and like mm. that affected me in a really intense way because like before anyone i knew was taking it seriously like his he was in new york city like right at the start like it was like he was like one of the first people in new york that had passed and i was like oh this is you please everybody please take this thing seriously nobody nobody was taking it seriously and then i kind of just had you know that has to level out too but the thing was was my my parents were like go into the store just doing a bunch of stuff that they didn't need to do yeah same here and that was like i broke out and there's the first time in my life i broke out into stress hives and i went to the doctor and the doctor like i went to an urgent care in pensacola florida and uh the doctor i was i thought i had a ringworm because that's the kind of thing that I would get is something just like kind of gross because my life. <laughs> and he told me to like show it to me. It was on my stomach and I lifted it up. It had been there for a couple of weeks and he looked at it and he was like, is anything in your life stressing you out? I wanted to just clock and like, is there fucking, is there anything in my life stressing <laughs> me out? Is there anything yeah. in my life? Stre- yes, there is something in my life stressing me out right now. Allow me to ponder. Oh yes, there <laughs> it is. This may be its own form of stress, but I am curious. I know you're working You're working on an independent soccer film right now, but what is it like to work on a set right now? You know, uh, so I actually, I work in a production office. Um, okay. I go to set pretty frequently, but... For the most part, I I work I'm I'm a I'm a production secretary, so I I handle a lot of like firsthand paperwork. I do a lot of like assisting to producers and um, mm-hmm. like production managers and stuff like that. And so I was in on this movie really early. Like we're we're the first department that that generally starts working. And I because it is a small, it's a non-union show. We're mm-hmm. uh, you know kind of like flying by the seat of our pants, trying to do do things our way, the way that we think is appropriate. Obviously, still following all of like the protocols that the different unions are setting up but because we're not a union show we can also do anything extra that we want to do we can adjust and tweak their stuff for our show for the size of our show so it's a, yeah. it's a pretty small show but the reason that I, I actually took this gig i had an offer for a gig a week beforehand working on a, a bigger stars movie but at the time there were a lot of shows that had kind of picked back up 
and mm-hmm. were, had filmed for two weeks and then had gotten shut down because somebody got COVID. And I just didn't want to go through that. Like I didn't want to get hired and then get fired. And so I, I decided I hedged my bets and I, I took a smaller show, which was good because I ended up getting an internal promotion on the smaller show. We're zoning out. So normally where I would have free reign to go wherever on any set that we're at and uh, I would work firsthand a lot of the times with a lot of different actors or working with our directors and stuff like that because we're zoned out I'm in I'm in zone c which means that I get to see the fewest people mm-hmm. but it's smart in my pod there are nine other people and as long as those nine people don't get COVID I get to still work but if someone does, we the nine of us can, for the most part, work from home. But okay. if we were on a full-size set and we weren't zoned out like that, then even if our accountant you know, got COVID or something, then we would be shut down indefinitely, all the other 133 people that worked on the movie. So it's nice to have that kind of like safety net because mm-hmm. if, if, if something does happen to me, for instance, like I won't have the weight of an entire movie shutting down. And I mean, it costs so much, so much okay. money to set up and tear down on something like that, especially you think like, we rent out a production office like we have that lease on that building for three months. So if we have to shut down for two weeks and we have to extend that, like we may not be able to get that same deal on that that space or whatever. So they have it separated in kind of in, like you said, zones to mitigate an outbreak should somebody, a person, singular person, whoever many get it. Yeah. And, you know, we have like our zone A is our actors and directors. And uh, anyone like, you know, a camera operator, first AC, people who like have to be right next to one another. Yeah. And we have zone Bs who are people who can kind of, well, there's two zone Bs, which is super confusing. There's a zone B <laughs> yellow and a zone B orange. Zone B a yellows. A BA and a can, BB. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but there are people who can like kind of traverse between between us, uh, like okay. our health and safety people. Um, everything that like if I have to deliver paperwork or any sort of gear to anybody, it'll go to a health and safety tent. It all gets sanitized and then it'll get taken to where it needs to go. Okay. A lot of it, personally, it's security theater. You know, like a lot yeah. of that stuff is maybe it's not not bad to do, but a lot of it is it's not going to get transmitted from uh, the surface of a package that had to travel for 45 minutes, you know, like that's not how it's, it's going to, if it's going to happen, it's probably going to happen from like direct contact with somebody or, uh, you know, air particulates. So, but, yeah, some of it is like just psychologically, it's making everybody feel better regardless of the realistic nature of, of the effectiveness of, of that little thing. Yeah, for sure. And I will say that I'm in a Facebook group called Reopening Hollywood. That was uh, more at the beginning of the pandemic, just trying to figure out. It was people in different unions discussing like, oh, how are we going to do this when we come back? And there was like, you know, we'd have like IATSE reps and stuff in that group kind of coaching us about how things were going to change. But now it has turned into a group where people just chime in and they're like, hey, my show got shut down. Here's what happened. And, uh, you know, that's like not a great, not a great thing to have to read on my timeline all the time. But it's not really happening as much as I thought it would. And one reason is because the nature of working on a a movie, which you have to have big crews like you for any sort of, you know, large production, like it's a soccer movie, we have soccer scenes with, you know, 25 people on the field. And we've got crowd shots with 60 extras and stuff like that. It's just not something that is feasibly able to be done really small. So we are taking a ton of precautions. We get our temps taken every day. Because I'm zone C, I get tested once a week. Zone A's and B's get tested three times a week, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. In fact, we had to like consult with like some like health and safety people like, hey, is this going to damage a person's like lining of their nostrils to to get tested three times a week? And 
there have been some people that have had like some some trouble with stuff like that. So we're kind of like definitely going above and beyond. But I was talking to one of our producers today because I had to go in and work a six day this morning. I was like, what do you how long do you think this is going to happen? And he told me he's like, this is not going away. Like we'll be doing it just this way for over mm-hmm. a year. This will be through 2021. This is how this is going to get done. Because even if a vaccine becomes available, not everyone's going to have it. And then reasonably, the union reps are going to want to keep people protected for as long as possible. But a lot of this stuff, this protocol, he was like, we're never going to not have hand washing stations again. We're never going to do buffet style crafty again. Like it's going to be a lot more segmented the way that it is now. And it works pretty efficiently. I will say the one really silver lining of this is I'm used to working 12 plus hour days. I mean, I've worked 12s. 12s is the minimum I've ever worked before this show. I've never worked a day of less than 12 hours. Uh, mm. That wasn't like a standard day. And more often, it was like 14s and 15s. It's just something you have to deal with working in the entertainment industry. But now we work 10s. And at 10s, we leave. You don't work longer than 10 hours. I don't know what that has to do with COVID. But hey, I'm not going to complain about it. We'll yeah, it's a good development. Tins, as opposed to the other way around, yeah. Do you feel safe? Yeah, I actually, I feel pretty good. I was a little nervous at first, but we are taking it super seriously. Like, hey, if you're caught with your mask not on, like, you're going to get told to put your mask on. And if you get told a second time, you're probably not going to be working on the show anymore. Like, that's yeah. kind of the situation we're in. And everyone, I mean, there's all kinds of different people, especially like working in, in Georgia, the Atlanta film industry, there's a lot of different kinds of folks, you know, a lot of different backgrounds. It's not just like coastal elitists. Most of the time, it skews very liberal, but it's not all that. You know, there are people who are more concerned with their civil liberties or whatever the fuck. But everyone kind of knows like, hey, we have to do this. We have to do this the right way, because if we don't, it's going to cost a lot of money. And I mean, this is exponentially more expensive than making uh, a movie in a a normal time, because I mean, we get so you think we have 130 crew members ish. Everybody's getting tested at least once a week. Some people are getting tested three times a week. Every single one of those tests cost a, cost us $100 to do. So, I mean, over the course of a six-week shoot, that's thousands and thousands of dollars just going into the test, not going into hiring safety coordinators, hiring extra medics, hiring safety PAs, and all of the other ins and outs of that. I mean, it's been completely different, especially working in my department, where we are the ones that kind of handle all that stuff logistically, sourcing all that equipment. I mean, I spent days trying to find hand washing stations. You can't find hand washing stations now. They're not anywhere. They're sold out everywhere all the time. Um, it was it was like moving heaven and earth to try and get that sort of stuff taken care of. And it's been kind of like a curveball. But I will say, like, honestly, because this is a small movie, I'm comfortable talking about this. Like, I'm not getting paid very much money. I'm actually made more money on unemployment than I'm currently making on this movie. But I couldn't do it anymore, man. I could not sit at my house any, any longer. I had yeah. to go to work. And that's why I like I wanted to do it responsibly. And I do feel good about that. Like, I think that and there are movies that aren't handling it as well as we are. But my my production, like I'm, I'm very comfortable with it. And like my boss, I have the best boss in the world. I've gotten to work with her on a couple of movies. And she told me day one, she was like, hey, if at any point you don't feel comfortable with how they're handling this, you can leave. I won't feel bad about it at all. You don't have to give us notice. Like if you don't feel safe, don't don't come. It's fine. We'll figure it out. She said, I'm going to do the same thing. And I have at no point not felt like we were in good hands. A lot of the time that comes down to having good producers, having good locations managers, and just having department heads who communicate with one another and who are working effectively to create a good plan. I'm happy to have been in on those plans. Like that's like a historic moment for me. If I stay in the industry 20 years from now, I'm going to be like, you know, I was in on meetings when we were trying to figure out how to handle coronavirus. And I'm trying to be thankful for that. Like everyone has to be a part of some sort of cultural historic moment. And if you're going to be a part of one, this is not the worst one to be a part of. Like 
World War II was probably worse. Like being a slave in Egypt probably sucked ass. And if I'm sure, like the yeah. thing I tell my grandkids is this was the thing that I had to do, like it could be a lot worse. Fair. And that's, uh, I know it's really interesting just to kind of hear, uh, I don't know, just the experience firsthand because it's, I mean, it's an, it's unique in general, let alone like just through the, the subset of doing it through the prism of being on set and on a movie because everybody's figuring this out as they go along. You know, it's, I was curious, first big movie looks like you worked on, or big movie set as opposed to Richard Jewell. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, and I was I was I was on set and hands on a lot with that movie too. I mean, normally that on, like? on any other movie, I'm I'm all over the place. Um, yeah. Richard Jewell was amazing. I kind of had my reservations because you you hear things about Clint Eastwood, you know, yeah. about like, and he's like he seems like a grumpy old man. He's just like the nicest dude. He's so nice. He has a really good reputation within like the production industry. He doesn't overwork his employees. They try and work tens if they can. He does. He's incredibly efficient, notably is, so. Oh yeah, he comes in under budget on every movie. We wrapped that movie in October, and it came out in December, which is just unheard of. Like normally, like the turnaround on that movie was crazy, and for a turnaround like that, I mean, it was it was a really good movie. I I, I mean, I thought the movie was great. I, I'm not and not saying that because I worked on it. Like I was yeah. kind of because it's not. They're not. I mean, everybody has their hits and misses. And sure. uh, I mean, I liked The Mule, but I didn't, I didn't feel about The Mule the way I felt about like Unforgiven. Unforgiven was like the movie that I saw when I was a kid that I was like, oh, this, this could be art. Like, this is a thing yeah. that you could do. For me, that was like the early kind of benchmark. So yeah, and, I, and to your point, like there are ebbs and flows, certainly. Like there is, I suppose, with most any director, if they make enough movies, but his baseline, you know, his average, I suppose, is pretty damn strong. And Richard Jewell, regardless of, you know, the extraordinary nature by which the turnaround was, I just thought that was a great movie. I loved it. You know, uh, something that's really interesting about him, and I've had a chance to work with a couple of directors since then, but he's not as hands-on with the pre-production process as as most directors are. Mm-hmm. He has a really good team. I mean, he's been making movies for forever. He's had his same production company, Malpaso, for forever. And it has really been like, he works with a good person on a movie, and he brings them back on the next movie, which is very uncommon. Directors don't do that. Production companies don't do that. Mm -hmm. So it really feels like a family. Like you kind of get, you get in, it's like really like a special kind of movie to be on. Because everybody's also really technically proficient at their job. That's the thing. He gets a person who's really good at doing what they do, and then he doesn't have to worry about it. You get a good cinematographer, or you get a good costume designer. You get good, uh, you know, like set deck designers and stuff like that. And then what he does is he shows up right before the movie starts and he walks out on set and he starts directing because he's really good because he he knows acting. So, I mean, he's one of the best actors in the history of filmmaking. Yeah. He's just truly transformative. And then once you meet him, it's so transformative. You're like, oh, he made those movies and that's his demeanor because he's just like jovial. He's so nice, incredibly <laughs> kind man. And he knows how to like go out and like work with an actor and say, hey, this is what I need from you. And then you do a take. And a lot of directors might have to do, and this is why it comes in at a budget, might have to do five or six takes. But he can give you notes after one take and be like, here's what I think you should change. And he just knows how to talk to actors. And then generally gets that second take, and they're probably, they're generally pretty good. You don't really have to do a ton of takes with him. And he respects his actors, and he respects his production staff. The other thing is you can tell, he's just like so thankful that that's the thing that he gets to do. If yeah. you were in his position, you could very easily like have gotten used to it and it just be a grind and not something that you do for fun anymore. But like he does it because he just loves making movies. And that's so tight because that's why I do it, too, because I love making movies. I definitely don't do it for the money or the prestige as a production secretary. I do it because I yeah. love movies. 
He's in a rare position too where depending on the person or maybe the age or just the entry point, the point of reference for other people like with regard to him could in equal measure either be legendary actor or legendary director. And there are very, very few people that can say that. Yeah. And can I tell you, he's an old man. He's such an old man. He does this. He like every day on set, he shows up. He has like a polo shirt with like what looks like, I don't know if they're sweatpants, but they look like sweatpants. Like tucks them in. They definitely don't have a belt and pulls them all the way up. It's just so funny looking like, oh yeah, that's like an 85 year old guy over there. Just being like, it's what I would imagine my grandpa wearing if he was going to direct a movie. Dude does not comb his hair. I don't even think, he probably doesn't own a comb. He probably only combs his hair whenever a hair and makeup person combs his hair. <laughs> I respect that man a lot. Uh, did you work on Red Notice as well? Yeah, I was in pre-production on Red Notice. I yeah. was with them for about a month and a half before I moved over to working on Loki. But Red Notice, uh, it was really fun. The director, Ross and Thurber, is just a super nice, super good guy. That's another, That's a, it was a whole different kind of movie too, though, because Netflix makes movies in a very particular way. They're very like, Netflix is like a movie factory. And I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just efficient. It's like, hey, uh, we uh, we got here. We rented out this space. We're... Uh, we're going to stay here for XYZ amount of time. And then after this, like they were supposed to pick up and and shoot in, I think like Venice or like Iceland or something for a little while before coming back here to, to finish. They ended up there doing the whole thing here now. It was like definitely a different kind of experience because everyone on a movie like that is all very new. You know, Netflix, they hire a lot of younger directors, people who don't have quite as much experience, people who uh, are a little bit newer to the industry. And it's kind of neat to see like new blood versus old blood because people handle things differently. Yeah. And it's it's there's a lot of posturing in the entertainment industry like when a lot of people especially like younger younger people in higher positions make it like no this is very serious. This is very serious. We're making this very serious movie and everything <laughs> has to be like a business. And then you take like a, what I I mean I would consider Clint Eastwood to be like an auteur director and it's like everyone who works on his movie is like we're having fun making a movie like it's just like hey yeah. it's like we don't take it too too seriously because you can't I mean you take it seriously when you're doing a take but you you work for so long so many hours and doing truly truly hard work I mean there are much harder jobs but I've never worked on a job and because it's a freelance industry if you don't work at a hundred percent and you don't give it your all all the time constantly, you're not going to get hired on the next movie. Yeah. There are a lot of careers where people start strong and then five years in, they're complacent, and that affects everyone else who works in their department. I have experienced that at every other job I have ever worked at. And the nice thing about working in the entertainment industry is you work with people who make you want to be better at your job because everyone is so fucking good at their job. That, that's why, you know, not the same thing, but when I see anybody, regardless of the field, whether it's sports, you know, entertainment, whatever the case might be, and they're just so good at what they do, complete respect, because it's just, just the idea that you're around everyone like that, but it's just, it must be, yeah, incredibly motivating, just so empowering. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm working with a, a really green PA right now. She's like really sweet. She's super like doe eyed about the industry, which is great. You should be because it's like a magical thing to get to do. I am thankful every day that this is my career. Um, but she's talked to me and she's like talking about these two movies that she's kind of heard that maybe she could get onto after this. And she's like, do you mm -hmm. think I should take this or this or whatever? And she's like, and then this one and it's like, but I got this offer on Ozark. And I'm like, great. You know, and she's like, yeah, she's like, do you think I should take it? I was like, do you want to take it? And she's like, well, it's Ozark. I'm like, well, 
I don't think about it like that. I think like yeah. when I get an offer for a movie, I think like, okay, well, where am I going to be working? Um, who am I working for? What's my pay rate? And I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just like that stuff affects me a lot more day to day. I mean, yeah. a lot of people, like my boss who took this movie, who hired me on, she didn't take this movie because it was a big movie. She took this movie because she loves soccer. Um, I would definitely take a movie, even if it was at a lower pay rate, if it was something that I really wanted to work on with someone I really wanted to work with. Like that's, yeah. abs- I would absolutely do that. But for the most part, like if you're asking me what job you should take, uh, you should take the the job that is is a, a good paying job that's not too far from your apartment, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. You worked on Loki too. You said Disney is Disney, and they they have their own processes, no doubt, just like Netflix does. But was it different on working on a, what you knew to be a Disney Plus show, which is something that you know is a new thing still, relatively? There aren't too many original, at least Marvel shows on Disney Plus, if any, that are out anyway. Yeah, so I probably have to dance around about it a little Fair bit. Fair enough. Because yeah. I have to be a little vague about that. That's one you have to say, like a fucking a thousand NDAs to work yeah. on something like that. But I will say my personal experience is that was my first job working outside of the production department. And I was working as an art assistant. And as you can okay. imagine, like that's a fucking awesome movie to be an art assistant on. Like, no joke. Um, our production designer, Kazar Farahani, so, so, is like an amazing dude. And he has so much vision for the kind of thing that, that he wanted to bring to the table. But the interesting thing about working, and this is no secret, working on those Marvel movies is it's just meeting after meeting after meeting with people <laughs> about like, like on, on a movie, like the movie I'm working on now, like we, we don't even have an art director. There's no art department. It's that small. It's like the set designer is just the art director. Yeah. She like has reached out to me to do like Photoshop work because they just didn't have anybody to do it. Um, and then like a, a show like Loki, we had 19 people just in our art department, which is like. That's the size of multiple departments on this other show. Having that opportunity to kind of like shift away from production and get to see, because I think everybody feels this way when you start working in in entertainment, whatever department you start in, you're like, well, my department's the important department. This is the important department on the movie. They're all just as important. Like there's not one department that is more important. There's not one job that's more important than the others too. Like people in the entertainment industry say it like that you don't movies don't get made without pas like and most people if they're worth their shit are really thankful for really good pas too because they know that like a hard-working pa can make everybody's job a lot easier and can improve like the quality of life for the people who have to be there 24 7 pretty much but working on on loki and getting to like see what goes into set design and see like you know we would have meetings where they would just talk about like the color palette of the movie and talk about like hey what does this say about our movie how does this align with these other shows but uh, something that's really interesting and this wasn't true for the art department on loki but i have a friend Mm -hmm. who works in props on loki on loki and a couple of folks i know work in construction is a lot of those marvel shows all get filmed at the same studio right outside of atlanta and a lot of them are filming at the same time like while i was working um captain america and the Falcon, Cap, whatever that other, the Falcon one. I don't know. I don't know about yeah. Marvel stuff. It's like the Falcon and the Winter yeah. Soldier. Falcon and like the that. Winter Soldier. Yeah. yeah. And WandaVision, we're filming at the same time. And there's a couple of other ones. And um, my friend is working. She's on a contract for like two years, just working wow. just working on the Marvel shows there, which is very uncommon. Like mm-hmm. you, you don't get brought on for more than one move at a time. And they're, they're working at the same time. So those departments are being stretched pretty thin. Mm-hmm. But I think that having that opportunity, like she, she's a, a props PA, but by the time that she's off of this show, like 
she probably will never have to be a props PA again because it's a prestigious project to work on. And, you know, they make those that very well, like whether or not you like the content of Marvel movies, they're incredibly proficiently made. Which, yeah. from a production standpoint, is great. Like, I look at the writing in a movie, and I look at the directing, but I also look at, like, what was the production process? Like, how did this, like, what does this look like behind the scenes? How was this for the the people who actually had to be there day-to-day on set? And most of the time, with something like a Marvel movie, they've just been doing it for so long that it's a well-oiled machine. And it really feels like, like that. There were no real bumps along the way while I was working on it. I got cut loose right before, uh, or right as COVID was happening. Mm-hmm. Like, we shut down... And I didn't end up coming back because, you know, I didn't I didn't want to work on something that size when I came back. But I mean, like, I'm, I look forward to the day that I get to, to work on those again. If you work in Atlanta and you work in TV and film, you inevitably will end up working on Marvel projects because they film so much stuff out here. Like, and it's neat to have that to, like, talk about with other people like, oh, which like which Marvel shows were you on? Sometimes you see, like, the best part about working on a movie. Don't let anyone tell you that it's the prestige or the money or anything. It's crew swag at the end. You get like a cool hat or something. Yeah. Like cool backpacks. You see a cool backpack, you're like, hey, that's a cool backpack. You worked on Black Panther. I was on Captain America. And you're like tight. It's like a little club you're all in. You're like, crazy, yeah. crazy working on those movies, huh? But it is a ton <laughs> of fun. It feels like I mean, it's just like I felt like a little kid out there getting to like see all like the cool Loki props and stuff. Tom Hiddleston's so fucking nice. He's just a nice ass guy. He's so goddamn tall. Uh <laughs> that kind of stuff. And I can I tell one one non-NDA breaking story about Tom Hiddleston. Please. We had a secret Santa because I was there at Christmas and a couple of the actors were in on the secret Santa. And so we had like a $25 limit or whatever. And I thought I was being cool. I bought a little Loki Funko Pop for my thing. I was like, hey, someone's going to like this. They're going to put this on their desk. Their little Loki Funko Pop. This was a cool thing that I got for this secret Santa. And somebody drew with the secret Santa and they opened my gift and they're like, oh, that's so cool. And then the very <laughs> next person who opened a gift, it was Tom Hiddleston's gift. And it was like the limited edition gold Loki Funko Pop sign. I'm like, that's worth more than $25. <laughs> okay. That does not count. Those are the stories that I end up working for and, and living for because it is, it's like yeah. all consuming. I've lived in Atlanta for two years. And I don't really know a whole lot about Atlanta outside of working in the entertainment industry. I mean, I try to, but most of the time I work 60 or 70 hour work weeks. And, you know, you really have to love it to do it. A lot of people will just do one show and then they're like, I can't can't do this anymore. Um, There's a lot of upward mobility and it's really cool. Like before I was in it, I had a couple of other jobs in media before I did this, but I wanted to work in movies. That was the thing that I wanted to do. But it's like I was in Pensacola, Florida. I was like, well, you can't work in movies. That's not what happens. M- movie people get to work in movies. And I moved here to to work in entertainment. And I was like, well, it might be a year, two years before I'm even able to get into the loop because you really, you have to know somebody who does it. And it's not like, and I don't mean that in a negative way. You just like, I meet people sometimes and they're like, oh, you work in movies? I want to work in movies. And uh, they seem like a good person. I'll take down their contact info. And like four or five times a year, I get a call from a coordinator and they're like, hey, hey do you know a PA wants to work? Or sometimes yeah. it'll be like, hey, do you know a PA who wants to work for almost no money? I'm like, yeah, I, I do know a PA who will work for almost nothing. Absolutely. He's never been a PA before, but that's that's fine, you know. We'll, we'll, we'll get up there and we'll train him. But the cool thing is like, I'm in and there's not a job in the entertainment industry that I couldn't do if I didn't want to. Like, I know the path. Like, I mean, I was thinking recently, like, because I've never really worked an on-set job, like where you go to set every day and that's your job and... Yeah, but I know like I know some grips and electricians and I've, I've thought like 
if I reached out to one of the grips that I know that I made a good impression on, like, hey, man, I kind of want to be a grip. I just want to try gripping. He would give me a call when that happens, and, and it would just be a matter of time, you know? And so playing the long game, it's like, oh, I could do anything that I want to in here. And that's really cool because you kind of get around and you're like, they're all cool, good jobs. They all have bad parts, but they all have really cool, good parts. And, you know, I, I have the thought of being like kind of a generalist. I like to like when I worked in art, I was like, oh, I could be an art researcher or an art director or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or probably something that maybe would be more suit my talent would be an being an art coordinator, but talk to my boss on this movie, who is kind of like my sensei, like she is the person who I go to about everything. Cause she's so good at her job and she's such a really awesome lady. So I was like, Hey, I'm thinking about like, like I, I worked in art and I was thinking like about being an art coordinator, but I'm over here. And I also really like being like a secretary or a, uh, I'd like to be a production coordinator. And she was like, you just do both. Like just be <laughs> one sometimes and be the other another time. It's, you know, that's okay. really something that you can do. That's really <laughs> awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, just as a movie fan, it's so cool to hear all this stuff. And to talk to you in general, so I thank you for coming on. Do you want to point people to anything before we wrap it up? There are 12 episodes of High Strange Cast. You can find that at pod.link slash howdystrangers. But I also am kind of, I'm on a light hiatus from that right now, mainly because it's really hard. We wouldn't really dive into what my podcast is about. Can I talk about that for a sec? Yeah, go for it. So High Strangeness is a show where I bring people on and I talk to them about the weird things that they believe, because I believe a lot of weird stuff. I like to have late night conversations with people like, do you think the moon's actually up there or whatever (laughs) and stuff like that? Um, But what I have found out is that most people don't really believe anything that weird. <laughs> and I'm fine with that. Like, I, you came on to my show. Uh, you were one yeah. of my first guests, and it was, like, awesome to talk to you. But it we talked great. about Alien, like, it, and <laughs> the just the movie, not the concept, because I've also talked about Aliens on my show. Yeah, I just bitched on, about Prometheus for the most part. But, you know, I want to talk about that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's A lot of people are not comfortable with the subject matter, so it's kind of hard to get guests on. They're like, well, I don't really believe anything that weird. I'm like, well, if the weirdest thing that you believe in is, like, God, let's talk talk about that. I, I'm just into that. But I'm yeah. kind of like, I'm in the process of maybe reformatting and relaunching under a different title. I've got a couple of episodes of another show recorded um, where, oh, nice. I, where I want to talk more about um, being from the South and Southern culture and like um, what it's like to be a, a, I'm and you I'm sure can speak to this, like people who are coastal, they think that the South is just full of like ignorant conservative rednecks and it's like no most most people i know are pretty good people and uh most of like the people i hang out with are not conservatives at all you know there's like a lot of progressives a lot of leftists and uh i think that there's just a different set of values not a better or worse set of values that people in the south have a lot of it's more about community and family and stuff like that yeah there's Um, a lot of misconceptions and i think that that stuff isn't like really represented like people who are outside of the south don't get to understand that because i work with a lot of people who like come out from la and they're like they get here and they're like apprehensive about atlanta they're like i don't know about this this is the south there's country (laughs) people here and it's like well uh there's also really good people and then by the end just since I've I've been in Atlanta for two years, several people that I've worked on shows with who've been out in, in L.A. for like 15 or 20 years were like, fuck this, I got to get out of here and have moved out here because there's like a lot of really awesome redeeming qualities about the South. And yeah, I think that know. if you get out here and you meet some of these folks, like we're just we're just good, honest, hardworking people. And like the worst thing that you can say about this, well, I'm not going to get there's, <laughs> there's some bad there, I mean, there. yeah. Well, one of the <laughs> things you can say about the South, like is it's just poor people. Like, I didn't grow up with money. Like, I grew up, I thought we were middle class. I was like, oh, we're, we're like upper middle class when I was growing up, and we're not. 
we were like poor people from a poor town. <laughs> and, it, and the reason I thought we were middle class was because everybody was poor. We were all yeah. poor. And, yeah. and, you know, that sort of hardship and that sort of economic disparity, um, it it's, it's pushes people apart from one another because you do get extreme conservatives, people who are jaded. Like a lot, and I know a lot of conservatives, and I know a lot of people probably will think differently of me for saying this, but like I know conservative people who are like good people. That's like a bad quality of theirs. Like I have family members that are not bad people. They're not shitty people. They have bad beliefs because they feel like they have to point the finger at something and they're pointing the finger at the wrong thing. But like, you don't, you don't change any of those people's minds by getting up and yelling at their face. You change people's minds by just being like a good, kind hearted, open person and being like, Hey, like if you want to engage in a dialogue with this, I will engage with this, engage with you about this. And I'm not going to like throw you down or whatever, because there is an amount of Southern hospitality. There uh, is. And yeah. And to your point, it's a, it's an innately, there's a, a innate sense of community and, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm really intrigued by what that show is going to be. So I really want to listen to that. If you're interested in that, follow my podcast feed at Howdy Strangers. There'll be links in there. Follow me on Twitter at Howdy underscore Strangers. I'm also more active on Instagram. I go on Twitter like once a week right now because my brain can't handle it. Fair enough. Um, but at Howdy dot Strangers, at some form of Howdy Strangers, you can find me everywhere on the internet. And Brandon, okay. thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely, dude. Thank you for coming on. This was great. Thank you all for listening. Just please wear a mask. Stay safe. It's okay to not be okay. Thank you for listening again, and take care. Bye.